first of all, thank you, Donna Priya, for that very, gen very, very generous introduction. And it's really good to uh, be with you um, uh, this morning and on this weekend. Uh, somebody asked me what I hoped to get out of the weekend. And uh, I, was, I went blank. Um, and, uh, but I think it, 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 it's education because... As you, you, you all know, I spend most of my time in a men's retreat centre with men who've asked for ordination and order members. And I have a few little expeditions out to uh, Sheffield, where I'm the president of the centre, and to uh, Berlin, where I have very close friends, and to the London Buddhist Centre. But by and large, I'm, I'm, I'm very much within quite a, almost not exactly circumscribed, but, but you know, quite a focused tree ratna world, if you like. So very very good to be with people who are running groups and who are pioneering so it, it, it's going I'm looking forward to hearing of your experiences as in uh, uh, as the weekend goes on uh, I just remembered when you'd mentioned the Coddington group of course there is actually a Serlingham group Pabloka is in a little village called Serlingham and we actually have started we've had meditation classes going on for a long long time in the area, but we've recently started hosting them at Papaloka. So every month, you know, we, we have to fit it in between retreats. We have people from Serlingham and different villages coming in, and uh, uh, that, that's been taken on by some of the younger order members. It's great, really good, really good sitters in, in the village, actually. Um, it's quite extraordinary because you, you know, I usually see these people going for a walk and you just nod and say hello, and then suddenly they're sitting in your shrine room. Um, <laughs> Um, interesting, it's mostly women as well, it's mostly women, very, and very, very, very good sitters, very, very still. I was quite, quite, uh, quite surprised at that. So there's something of group work, as it were, going on in, in Serlingham as well. Uh, I want to start with reminiscence, actually, um, uh, going back to some things I said last night. So I want to go back to 1974. Um, <laughs> uh, to a village called Hassocks, which is just outside of Brighton, and uh, to uh, me at 17 years old, living with mum and dad. Um, very, my two grown-up sisters, older sisters, have gone. They got married early and had children, lived locally. Very close, good family, loving family. My father was a plumber and heating engineer, kind of North London working-class family that moved to Sussex um, but um, I suppose I had other ideas from a very young age and a lot of curiosity um, about anything sort of weird and wonderful I suppose I think quite early on in my life I I knew that there was more to it all than what was on offer in other respects I was just an ordinary kid you know I was I just lived for football and cricket and watching telly and games and being extremely naughty and frequently getting in trouble. I was told at 16 that I wouldn't be welcome to return to the school I was in. Uh, so I said, all right, I won't come then. And <laughs> I got a job at a local market garden. Uh, so very, very ordinary life, very extremely ordinary. And yet this, I suppose, imagination, whatever you want to call it. And that led me to Buddhism. Uh, through listening to music, through reading, I, 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 I came across particularly Lama Govinda's wonderful books 
foundations of Tibetan mysticism and the way of the white clouds and they had a huge impact on me and the message in those books was you need two things if you're going to live a Buddhist life you need to find a teacher who will give you initiation and you need to meditate and if you do that well that's it you know you're 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 set uh, on the path uh, but teachers weren't easy to find. I mean, in, in, in the 70s, it, you know, I didn't find Buddhist centres in Yellow Pages and there certainly weren't any Buddhist teachers in Hassocks or if they were, they weren't revealing themselves. Um, and so I was really longing for that. I wrote letters to places and never got a reply and so on. And uh, then there, there was a hippie shop I used to go to in Brighton because... You know, I went to Brighton as much as I could. Different in those days, Brighton. Um, it was much more sort of shabby, um, in a way much more, in some ways, more interesting. Um, but in this hippie shop, where I used to get incense and Buddha Rupas and things like that, my, my, my bedroom turned into this massive shrine room. I just bought all these reproductions of tankers. And so if you went into my room, it was just filled with Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and a massive shrine and things like that. Um, and my parents, wonderful actually, I think about how incredibly tolerant they were, Christians, uh, but um, you know, very, very lovely um, looking back. must have been very peculiar for them. Um, but there was this notice, in just a handwritten notice in the shop saying, the Friends of the Western Buddhist Order, and as I said, I thought that was a... Well, for a start, they're not proper Buddhists because they're just friends <laughs> of Western Buddhists. So how, they're, not, they're not the real thing. But the friends of the Western Buddhist order are thinking of starting a centre in Brighton. If you're interested, come to this address. Well, I thought, well, I've, it's something. I've just got to go there. So I tore up to this, this place outside of Brighton, a sort of suburb of Brighton called Preston Park. And there was a very lovely family, uh, uh, Jim and Deirdre Martin and their, and their children. And they, they, they hosted the Brighton Buddhist Society. And they said, oh, that was put there by somebody called Buddha Dasa, who's away on an order weekend or order day, a very mysterious phrase. Um, and they were extremely welcoming people and invited me in for tea. And I think I helped... I went with a friend. I think we helped them pick their apple harvest and things like that. Very, very. Uh, when I look back, they were just extraordinarily kind and and generous people. And Buddha Dasa, this order member, they was lodging there and taking classes until such time as he could get a place of his own to start a centre. Because Sangharachta had had a long connection with Brighton, going back to the very early days of his involvement in on his return to Britain. He used to visit the Brighton Buddhist Society uh, regularly and had very close friendships with, with them. So it was a natural place to go and start a centre. And we didn't have many centres in those days. We had the centre in North London at Archway. And we had a centre, I think, in Glasgow by then. And we had centres a centre in New Zealand. I think that was about it. Maybe some groups somewhere, but, you know, there was very little. So it was... Uh, so Buddha Dasa... Uh, went down there. He, he'd, he'd done a six-month solitary retreat on the Applecross Peninsula in a disused, um, far, in a disused uh, croft or something like that. And uh, then he decided to go and start things. So I went. They said, "Well, come 
you know, later on in the week he, he, to the regular class and joined the group, the group. joined, the, And so I went in and met Buddha Dasa. I mean, I was thinking I was going to meet my guru and, you know, I was, you know, this was it. But in some ways it was a little bit deflating because Buddha Dasa was just a very ordinary, very handsome, actually quite young man, a lot older than me, in his uh, late 20s, early 30s, something like that. Uh, that that was old, in, you know, for me. That was that was getting on a bit, um, and um, he just was wearing a you know a, a jumper and Levi's, and that was a bit of a shock. You know, I was thinking if you have a name like that, you should be wearing robes. But and he was a bit kind of cool, but welcomed me. But the thing was, he led a proper class, didn't he? Uh, full dress metabhavana. He explained it, but it was the five stages. Found that very difficult, you know, because I was determined to sit in full lotus. I mean, no wonder I've got a bad back, you know, from what I tried to do in those days. And uh, then a sevenfold puja. That was my first night. And thank goodness. Thank goodness it was that. Because uh, by the mantras, uh, I, I, I felt I was, I was speaking, this was my language, this was my world. This is what I wanted in life. And by the mantras, I knew I was going to devote my life to Buddhism. I even knew I was going to be an order member, and I'd only just met one. I can't tell you how I knew that. I don't think it's got anything to do with previous lives. I don't know what it's to do with, but that was just the way it was. And I've often said that, um, well, if I'd, if, <laughs> if I'd gone along to a class like I eventually started to do taking classes with a very gradual introduction and loads and loads of concentration on relaxing the body, I would not have stayed. It was the fact that it was this full Dharma experience that that's what I was looking for. If you like, I was looking for <coughs> religion, um, you know, religion without a, a God, non-theistic religion, the sacred, the sacred that I could fully uh, express and give voice to that's what I really wanted and uh, within a very very short time I'd left home left my job and got involved in uh, the the emerging Brighton Buddhist Centre Buddha Dasa rented a couple of places and a, and, and a group started to form it started was starting to form in in that house in Preston Park it was attracting uh, people Buddha, Buddha Dasa was a very attractive man People were coming, all sorts of people, and then that started to develop into uh, the Brighton Buddhist Centre. So I'm telling you this story because I came along to a group, and I met a pioneer, um, and I'm incredibly grateful to that. Buddha Dasa did a a slideshow on our uh, on our public preceptors college meeting about his life, and there was there was reference to that and. Actually, he is one of the great pioneers within our order. I think he's probably started more centres than any other order member, and he started and he's helped out in more centres than any other order member all over the world. Well, Vadragupta, I think, is beating him now, but um, you know, but 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 it also very very practically, you know, he you know, uh, in terms of the, the actual physicality of places. So I I feel a great debt of gratitude to. Uh, Buddha Dasa, because um, he really exemplified uh, the Dharma uh, to me. And 
but he, he you know he started that 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 um you know those activities in brighton so i i come through a group so groups are extraordinarily important extraordinarily important and the thing is i don't think i'm an unusual person you know it's very nice when people do introductions and you know talk about how young i was when i got involved i don't think i'm unusual i think there's probably loads of people like that of all ages you know who who really are hungry for something they might not connect with it in the way that I did or what I, the, the, the particular manifestation that I connected with. But the fact of the matter is, I am not unusual. Um, you know, there are so many people who, with the right kind of communication, the right kind of, uh, as it were, presentation, really tuned up to them, will really connect with the Dharma very, very strongly. So the fact that we have you know, many, many different groups in different places that we're not just waiting in our centres. I mean, years ago, Banter used to say that. He used to, he was complaining that it seemed to him that people were just waiting in their centres for people to come. He, he was, you know, he was really concerned that there wasn't enough, you know, ingenuity and imagination of people going out to start things in, in different places. Uh, but, the, but, but the fact that there are groups, I think, is, is incredibly important. And, it, and it's really sort of taking off. It's quite obvious. Um, and a little bit more reminiscence. I'd, I'd, I'd just like to do a bit more of that because I, want, I, I also realised that I became a bit of a pioneer myself in, in different ways. So after I got ordained uh, in a couple of years, it, a bit on a weekend retreat, it's a bit different in those days, um, um, after I got ordained, I was involved in the centre in, we had in, in Archway and um, I did a bit in West London after I'd moved to Bethnal Green to work on uh, the LBC. I used to go and do classes in a very small centre that we had in Fulham. Um, uh, but, you know, we'd often get asked to go and give talks. So this is another aspect, I think, of group work, when people find out that you're a Buddhist, I don't know if you've had it, this experience, you sometimes get invited to go and do things in different places, I don't know, schools or I don't know how it works these days, or, or, or different groups. And I think this is another important aspect uh, of our work. And I, I, just one thing I want to make sure I get it. By the way, this isn't going to be a very systematic talk, I've, I've realised. This is, it really is going to be a ramble. Sorry about that. But one thing I'd really like to, to say to you, if you are ever invited to go and give a talk somewhere uh, to any kind of group, just do it. Don't think about it, do it. That's a line from a Pink Fairies song, isn't it? Those of you who remember Pink Fairies. Um, sorry, cultural reference. Um, um, don't think about it, just do it. Just, it's a fantastic training, apart from anything else, to go and speak to anybody um, Banta used to say that every order member, and well, I, I'll include every 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 Mitra involved in a group involved in outreach work. You should have three talks up your sleeve that you can give like that: the Buddha and Buddhism, uh, Buddhist meditation, and a subject of your own choice. Just have it down, have it ready. A great thing to have. Do some work on it immediately. Uh, very, very, uh, you know, simple work so that you can actually communicate the Dharma because 
when people find out that you're a Buddhist, they'll want you. And it could be anybody. I know people who've talked at Rotary Clubs, all sorts of places. The two experiences I remember in, 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 in Britain that, that, that were most weird, in a way, was get, getting an invitation when we were at Archway. I was just ordained. And we had, a, we had a, an invitation from, wait for it, the Hillingdon Young Conservatives. <laughs> the Hillingdon Young Conservatives. So they told me, the, the people, the big order members in the centre, well, you're going to have to go and do that. So, I mean, it's a real schlep to get from Archway out to, out to Hillingdon on the, uh, I don't know what, tube lines. But, you know, it's right at the end of the something line. And then a bus. And it was in a pub, above a pub. And they were a right lot of, how can I put it, um, arrogant so-and-sos. And uh, I really gave it to them. They got much more than they bargained for. Um, you know, and they were asked. And uh, afterwards, the, 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 the woman, the young woman, actually, who, who'd asked me to come, she said, that was, that was really fantastic. Actually, we asked you as a joke. <laughs> was, we, we thought, oh, let's have a laugh and get a Buddhist in. And, well... I'm pleased I did something. I, I don't know. I did, you never know. Maybe seeds were sown and one day I'll bump into somebody from that, from that group. Um, and the other one was, uh, was uh, when I was in Croydon, because I, I spent quite a long time in Croydon, um, many years there involved in the centre there, working there, and a lot of Dharma work there, was being invited by the, the spiritualists who met under the stage in the... Quaker meeting house and that was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had there were about five or six people under this stage it was a very very sad atmosphere I mean it was really sort of gloomy and enclosed in this dusty space and I know you are you have to communicate the dharma and 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 then of course you know you're getting questions about you know people connecting with their their their, their cats that have, that have gone over to the other side or or they're this or they're that, and, and actually find a way of really connecting and, and so on. And as much as anything else, I think even if people don't necessarily connect with the Dharma when you're, when you're doing work like this, at least it's a training for you in empathy, in learning how to really connect with somebody. And who knows what, what seeds you sow you know, through that. And nothing in this sense, I think, is wasted when, when you're communicating the Dharma. And it's true, probably in your group sometimes, you've probably had people coming along and you think, oh my goodness, you know, what, what do we do with this person? And, you know, that, but that, you have to see that as part of your, of your training. And then fast forward, you know, going, jumping around a bit, was, was India. I lived, I had different periods of my life in India. And of course, when we started in India, and as we carry on in India, there's so much of it is groups. We have got centres, but when we started, we didn't have a centre, Lokamitra, when he started. I mean, we, were, we, we just had to almost beg, borrow and steal venues to teach meditation. I mean, I mean when I say steal, I have to qualify that because that's not very Buddhist, is it? But, you know, I mean, we used to take classes, for example, on a veranda of a of a place in, in, in central Pune. And it, I think one of our order members had to kind of bribe the night watchman or the, the, the watchman to let us use this place. I mean, this is India. Bribes are OK. Um, <laughs> in order to do these, these classes. Or 
we did these these classes, really good classes, in this garage where somebody kept their car. It was a Christian family, and the and it was Sunday mornings, and the car was out at church. So they, I don't know how the order members fixed this up, but we were all in this garage, pouring outside as well, having, you know, meditation and, and dharma in this place. And um, and then I discovered that the reason they got it because they'd been asked, well, do you teach contraception? So they're obviously Protestants. And and the order members, yeah, yeah, we teach contraception. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I, they didn't tell me that. I never said anything about contraception. But anyway. But but um, it's it's so many many group things actually. I realised I've been in, involved with. I could go on multiplying stories. But one of the things about that is, and and maybe it applies in 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 the West as well, is the ingenuity you sometimes need. I think to do group things, and the imagination that you need to bring to it. I think that there are real challenges. You know, to get places, to get venues. I've heard about this. You know you've got a good venue and then you have to leave it and oh and then you have to look around and and sometimes you know you find somewhere that it's a bit counterintuitive it's not it might be a little bit rough and ready you know sometimes those places that don't seem so good can sometimes be the best because they might attract a different kind of of person I've certainly seen that so I think one of the other things about group work that's exciting is is the creativity you need to bring to the to the endeavour in terms of, of, of finding places. I'm sure you'll have your experiences of this. But what I, what I, perhaps what, I, what, I, what I'd like to do is is to talk a bit about, um, and this afternoon we're going to talk about Mitra things. I'm not going to dwell so much on that. I, what I want to talk, talk to you about is uh, a very, very important teaching that, that Bunt has given to us. that um, came out in his... A lecture series on the Vimalakirti Nidesha, the the inconceivable emancipation. It's a wonderful lecture series, and in this lecture series, he he there's the Vimalakirti is the the embodiment of skillful means, as they call it. You know, this is a the way in which a bodhisattva, you know, can well the lecture he calls is being on being all things to all men. It's a quote from the Bible: on being all things to all men and all women, obviously. Uh, it, it's about the, the, the tremendous skill that a bodhisattva has to connect with everybody where they are and to transmit the dharma that they actually need uh, to bring about their, their, their transformation and their growth. It's an incredibly important um, you know, teaching in Mahayana Buddhism, often very badly misunderstood. Sometimes you, you know, somebody does something a bit naughty and they say, oh, skillful means, you know, you know, when it's well dodgy behaviour. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, the way in which we apply the Dharma to the actual circumstances in which we are. And when I say the Dharma, I mean the profoundest Dharma. This is, this is very, very important with this teaching on skillful means. It's the, the absolute profoundest depths brought to the particular um, the ordinary, the direct. This is one of, I think, one of our great challenges. I think, uh, for 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 Tri Ratna, for really any Buddhist community in the modern world. I think the great tendency in the modern world is superficiality and uh, being too quick to uh, to to uh, um, to water down 
the liberating uh, force of the Dharma. Um, we mustn't do that, uh, otherwise we'll, the Dharma will die. At the same time, that, that profound force of the Dharma needs to be applied to people exactly where they are. This is, I think, one of the great challenges that, that, that any spiritual community will face. Skillful means really brings, brings this out. And the great teaching here that Bhante goes into is a teaching called the Sangraha Vastus. Uh, which is the old-fashioned translations, translates it as the elements of conversion. Um, but really, it, it, it's more like, a better translation is the means of unification, the means of unification of, of a community. And it's strongly related to another uh, idea in, in the Bodhisattva tradition of, of what they call the parigrahagana. Parigrahagana. The parigrahagana means the gathering of a community, the gathering of a gunner. A gunner here is a, is a very close-knit spiritual community, not, not an exclusive you know, group or anything like that, but a, a, a very close-knit sort of um, uh, uh, um, uh, aspect, if you like, of, of the wider spiritual community. So a bodhisattva has to practice this. A bodhisattva has to attract people around him or her in order that the dharma can be lived and transmitted now there isn't just one per in in the you know the, there isn't one person as it were who's a bodhisattva uh, that's not the way we think of things we think rather that the spiritual community the sangha itself is the bodhisattva this is the great vision that that Bhante's given us that the order and by extension friends of the order is a bodhisattva. We're all working together to bring about the growth, the maturing, the transformation, liberation, well, in the end of, of all beings. So it's us as a community practicing these sangrahavastus, practicing this way of bringing people together. Um, and, I, and what I'd like you to think about is um, how you can do that as a group and as, and as pioneers. Uh, how you can how you can you know bring that about, and it's important because when we think of Buddhist practice, of course, Buddhism is profoundly, I mean, it, it's profoundly to do with individual responsibility, uh, and individ, you know people really taking hold of their lives. I mean, the Buddha is consistently clear. In, in his teaching in this respect. By you must the zealous effort be made. The Buddhas only show the way. This is this wonderfully stirring line from the Dhammapada. Um, so much emphasis on individual responsibility. Even going to the point, it doesn't matter what somebody's doing to you. They might be um, harsh to you. you ha there is absolutely no justification for violence or retaliation. Uh, you continue to practice metta. You continue to practice your ethics and values, regardless of what others are doing or not doing. And within the Sangha itself, within the spiritual community itself, well, a spiritual community really happens when you have every single person within it practicing the path individually, taking full responsibility for their, for their actions uh, and, and, and their effects on others. When you have a, a community of people doing that, really developing unconditional love 
uh, to one another, regardless of what's kicking off, well, then you have something extremely uh, powerful. Well, that's the kind of community we're trying to create and to attract people into. And, it's, and although there's this emphasis on individual development, actually, weirdly, it sounds like a paradox, you can only, that can only really flower under incredibly supportive conditions. It's very, very hard to live the individual Dharma life, you know, without the help and support, the love of others. And that is what you're doing in your groups. You're creating, you know, in your, you know, in your practice, in your teaching, in your communicating, the environment, the atmosphere where people can mature, where they can flower, where they can grow. That's, that's what it's about. And this is a hugely important aspect of Tri Ratna. This, this atmosphere of what's called Kalyanamitrata, spiritual friendship, Sangha, it's got, it's got different names. This uh, very maturing uh, loving kindness. Um, and it's, and it's, so we're not talking here about mere sociability. Uh, it's very interesting, these insights into Sangha, this is, these are, this is all coming from Bhante, by the way, this is not aren't my ideas. Um, his insights into Sangha are so profound. Uh, they are, it is a wisdom teaching, because he sees that, in the end, reality isn't bifurcated into self and other subject and object. Uh, so we need to start living the wisdom life now through creating this kind of community uh, in which people can grow and, and, and develop. So the Sangra Havastus are four in number. So it's, you know, it's another one of those really good Buddhist li- lists. There's Dana, or generosity, an old favourite. Uh, Priyavadita, uh, loving speech. Uh, um, what's the next one? Ardhacharya, which... Uh, is can be translated as doing good, uh, but really it means living meaningfully, living meaningfully, and samanatata, which is you know can either be understood as uh, as um, sympathy or empathy, but usually is 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 understood to mean exemplification. So I want to go through these four uh, briefly and see how they might um, relate to, to, to practicing within, within a group. So the first is, is generosity, an old uh, favourite and so important in Buddhist practice, you know, generally. Um, we, when we think of Buddhist practice in the West, we tend to privilege meditation, ethics, the wisdom teachings. But, but dana, generosity, is classic. Buddhist practice. You could even say that in Eastern Buddhism, dana is the Buddhist practice. Uh, generosity is the practice. Um, the whole idea with, 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 with dana, that in giving, in, in giving to others, you will be becoming, if you like, a bigger person, a richer person. Uh, this is usually explained in terms of the accumulation of merit, which I think is terribly misunderstood, as if you're putting some you know, um, merit counters into the merit bank account, which, you know, a bit like Bitcoin, I suppose. It's sort of <laughs> spiritual Bitcoin, which you then cash in. Um, but it's, it's not really like that. That's, that's, it's not really like that at all. Punya is more like, um, it's more like a force you're generating, or sometimes just, Sangha actually said it's like an aura, 
a momentum through generosity. You become a, a richer uh, being. Um, you know, you become a you, you become a, a um, you know, less concerned with yourself, more concerned with with others. There's a sort of sense of abundance. And he says in his lecture on the Sangha of Astus that the spiritual community, the Sangha, should be characterised by the constant exchange of presents, the constant exchange of gifts. So within your group, among the, 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 those of you who are running the group together, think of being generous to each other. Think of being generous to each other, really looking out for each other, being helpful to each other in relation to... Uh, in relation to the task. I mean, there's very, very obvious practical things like, you know, getting the cushions and, you know, putting them out, making the tea, of course. You know, everything runs on tea in Tree Ratna. Um, you know, making it really helping each other to, to, to make the group run as, 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 as vividly as possible. This is, whoops, this is, um, this is uh, Dana in the context of... Uh, uh, the Sangha of Astus. But of course, I think it goes, it goes deeper than that, you know, and that means looking out for each other you know, when there's illness, uh, when there's difficulty. Um, it really is the sort of the basis for friendship because the way in which I think any kind of centre or group or spiritual community, any class runs, is when you have an atmosphere of friendship between those running it. Sangharachita uh, was once asked, I was present with Bhante on a, on a, um, on a weekend. There were loads of, you know, inevitably loads of questions about insight and, you know, attainment and, you know, all that. Um, and it was very interesting, the answer he gave on, the, on this occasion. He said, mm, yes, well, I get lots of uh, letters from people who come into our into our movement. So this is an answer to questions about insight, interestingly enough. Uh, yes, I get lots and lots of, que- lots of, lots of letters and, that, and people say to me that they went on the retreat or they went to the group or they went to the centre and the teaching was really good, the meditation instruction was really good, the Dharma teaching was really clear, but what really impressed them, what really moved them, what made them want to be a Buddhist was seeing the friendship between the people running it, the obvious way in which they were interacting, the generosity of spirit between them. That was the living embodiment of Buddhist life for them. I think there's such important information. And the fact that he's asking a question on insight and wisdom is if to say, look, if you've got real, real generosity between you, real friendship between you, that is a manifestation of real wisdom. Um, and, it's, and especially if that is attracting people, you know, to the Dharma, that's what you really need to be looking at, really concentrating on. And of course, it's one of those very, very obvious, almost ordinary human things, isn't it? Generosity and that uh, um, flow between people, which we can so easily overlook and relegate to the sort of, you know, the foothills of the Dharma life but it runs through right to the pinnacle of the Dharma life. You know, the Buddha himself was always in, in different degrees of friendship, you know, with people. Always that was there and in his Sangha. So, so don't underestimate that. Don't overlook that. And, and, and see how you can extend 
the practice of generosity within your group. Maybe it could just be to do with, you know, maybe there's more money needed to, to run the group. Uh, and of course, in relation to people com coming along, being really generous to the people coming along. Sometimes, you know, you might notice this person is really keen. They're really keen. Let's 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 give them a you know really respond to, you know their 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 keenness and enthusiasm. And of course, there's that great practice of generosity you have to do when somebody comes along. I mean, do you have them? You know, the shy person who finds the corner of the room and tries to hide hide behind their cup. You know, or you know, or you know, in the centres that I used to be in, you'd have you'd have the one that lurks in the book bookshop, in the corner behind their their cup you know and they you know and then and it's it's all i always find that really uncomfortable to try and go and connect with somebody it's, it's feeling so awkward you can sort of feel the physical sort of uncomfort but i i always try to make it a practice to to just you know go and just say a few words and it might be that you have to do you can't say too much because it's just going to get too freaky you but you know every week you just make a point of making contact and it builds up it builds up and actually then you start discovering that there's an incredible person here. They just haven't had the chance to communicate themselves. So this is all part of, of generosity. Then the second aspect is, uh, I think as well, encouraging generosity in the group. Um, we, 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 we're going to be talking about making mitras a bit later and on the recent private preceptors retreat I was on quite a few private preceptors were saying we used to have an old criteria of mitras and one of them was willingness to help out in the activities of the centre and, and some of them were saying can we have it back please <laughs> why they think I've got the power to just say <laughs> you've got to help out I don't know but I think I think certainly encouraging that spirit of helping out and almost as a skillful mean, it's good to put on events whereby people can help out in an ordinary way. When I look back on my Brighton days, we had this lovely sangha that developed. Really lovely people. I mean, most of them were married with families. I was one of the few single people there. But, but no, no buts, that could sound like a, a qualification. The atmosphere was so generous. Uh, really people wanting to help out and participate in the activity of the group and the, and the, and the young centre we had. So it would be jumble sales. Do we have them anymore, jumble sales? Do they exist anymore? Car boot sales, I suppose. Skills, skills auctions, it's that sort of... Jumble sales were a fantastic way of bringing the sangha. And, and, of course, you see people with the most amazing qualities, you know, really come alive. They might not have been you know, that great in meditation or in the study group, get them in a jumble sale. I'm absolutely <laughs> ferocious. Um, and there's a venerable tradition here. Sangharachita used to be part of jumble sales in the very early days of the movement. Apparently used to haggle with, with, with old ladies on the bric-a-bac stool. Um, just an insight into a beloved teacher. So, but, but things like that, sponsored walks, do we still do those things? I can remember one of the first thing I, I did it in Brighton was to to organise a sponsored walk on the Downs to raise money for the centre. Uh, Sankadarshan did a clothes swap here. Actually. A what swap? Organised clothes swapping. Okay. So people bring in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anything like that, especially if it can make a bit of money. But the thing is, it also brings people together. You're, you're, all, you're trying to do something. I'm, 
again, ingenuity. I'm out of, you know, I'm out of touch with how these things work. Uh, but anything that will sort of kind of gather people together, bring out their, 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 their sort of, you know, talent, skills, generosity for the benefit of the, of the group, making the group sort of stronger and making the Dharma stronger. I mean, am I being naive? No, oh, good. All right. Benefit dinners, that's right. Benefit, we used to do those. Benefit dinners, fantastic. We did it for the Dada Rinpoche School. I mean, and, it, and, it, and the thing is, it, 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 it really magnetises people. It really brings people together. I mean, we, do you remember we, uh, going down reminiscence way here, when we were at Ariatar in, uh, uh, where the centre was in Croydon originally, we used to do jumble sales or sponsored walks come back for a meal this is the whole sangha and then um one of the guys there used to work for the bbc and he'd get films with me and and we'd have a have a film show what i think we watched women in love or something that thing but great a great way of of bringing everybody together very very important these things anyway that's dana so the second of the sangha of Astus is priya vadita uh, kindly speech, loving speech. The word priya is one of those words. It's, it, it exists in Indian, modern Indian languages. It's very strong, very, very strong affection without being cloying or attached, really expressing you know, your love uh, to somebody, really practicing appreciation of other people. So this needs to be really strong. You know, within a within within a within a sangha, within within a center, within a group, uh, and to the people coming along, really communicating with full awareness of the other person, really taking in their their being. In Sangharachta's lecture on perfect speech, given way back in '68, Eightfold Path, never been surpassed by anybody anywhere. He talks about the deepening levels of communication. He talks about truthful speech. But then he says the truth is spoken to someone. And this is where kindly speech comes in. And he defines love as the awareness of the being of another. Wonderful definition of what love really is. The awareness of another's being. You know, you're aware of them as a human being. And you speak to that uh, with, with real love, with real appreciation. So, of course, the great practices here within a group, if you're running a group with one another, with it, those of you who are running the group, is things like rejoicing in merit, really expressing your appreciation of, of what others are doing, uh, really not taking anything for granted. You know, you get people who run groups I know, they travel a long way, they, they, they do lots of stuff, you know, to load up cars with cushions, you know, to get the place looking nice, to, to, to turn it into a, a, a Buddhist shrine room for an evening where it might have been used for something else throughout the day. Well, that, that is really worth appreciating and, and, and valuing and not taking for granted. Um, and, of course, being watchful for anything that, that, that undermines that. There is something weird about us human beings. We have this incredible knack of falling out with each other. I mean, we're absolute masters of, 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 of making disharmony out of the, the, the simplest of situations. I mean, it really is quite astonishing what, what people can polarise about. 
I mean, I've even heard stories from friends of mine about groups where, you know, people have fallen out over the most ridiculous things. I mean, tiny things. I'm not saying it's any of you here, and I don't worry, I haven't got any information on you or anything <laughs> like that. But you think, how, how have you managed to mess this up? Do you know what I mean? How have you managed to get polarised over the tiniest of things? You know, I didn't like the way you did the announcements, or I didn't like the way you taught the meditation, or, you know, why are you trying to control me, and things like that. And it's like, ruddy hell, you know, talk about touchy. Um, no, we don't do that. We, we really work against that. We practice against that. Um, and, you know, if we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we're doing that, we've got to look right into ourselves if we're having those reactions to one another. I mean, you know, uh, the, the things that people fall out about, I mean, are ridiculous. I mean, they're not about the things, of course. I mean, they're about something else. But we really need to resist it. This is why, I think, as well, group work, centre work, working in teams is such a powerful practice. Uh, sangha in itself is a powerful practice. Again, an early lecture of Bhante's that always struck me was that he said, the thing is, in a spiritual community, you're attracted because there's an ideal. There's, there's the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. Uh, you're, not, you're not together because of your personal interests. Uh, you're, you, you've all come along because of something that transcends that. And then you look around and you realise that you're with people that in the normal course of life you wouldn't have had anything to do with um, and you, who, you, who you really sort of react to. Now, normally, you can walk away. I can remember one um, order member saying how irritating it was being in a, working in what, what, you know, a team-based right livelihood team because he used to be a, a director of a theatre company. He said if he had any difficulties with people, he'd just sack them. Um, he said, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm, I'm stuck with them. And it really is irritating. I mean, it's one of the most irritating of things within the spiritual life. I mean, believe me, I've ended up repeatedly in chapters with somebody I've been trying to, always been trying to get away from. <laughs> Can you believe it? Um, and of course, this is a wonderful opportunity for real practice. This is the great, this is where you know, this is where you really test your metabhavna. This is where you know whether or not your metabhavna is working or it's just an exercise in sentimentality. You know, when you're thrown together with people in the sangha who you really don't like, let's face it, and you have to learn to love them. Of course, like, liking doesn't really come into it. Liking and disliking are just... You know, they're just feelings. That's just fluff, really. You're, what, what you're looking for is that deeper uh, response. So this practice of loving and of loving speech and loving communication, you know, if it you know, can come up in relation to any kind of tensions that, that, that we might have within the, group, within the people running the group. And, of course, when people come along, you're polite, you're courteous, uh, you're friendly, and of course there'll be challenges sometimes because if you're running a group, you might have some awkward customers asking some very, very tricky questions uh, and really not taking no for an answer. And you've got to find a way of very courteously, you know, responding to them. Uh, this has been a, you know, I mean, and, and of course don't worry if you make mistakes. Um, you know, I've, I've made loads and loads of my mistakes publicly in, 
in classes. I mean, I've, I've got a bit of a short temper. And I can remember, I don't know if Sanger David was there but back in Croydon days. I can remember, I mean, I lost it one night in a course. I, somebody was being really, really awkward and I completely lost it. You know, and of course it was terrible. It was a terrible moment, a terrible humiliation. And I thought I'd lost the whole whole class. Actually, they all came back. There was, but but, you know that 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 might happen. But you've got to, you know, you've got to work on that. You've got to work on, you know, being able to learn how to respond to people really, really skillfully. Um, and of course, this demands that you go deeper into your understanding of of, of of the Dharma. And in relation to that, it's okay to say you don't know. I think this is really important if you're in any kind of outreach group and people come along with questions, maybe personal questions about their life, maybe about the Dharma. It's okay to say, look, I don't know, I'll have to go away and think about that. I'll have to go and ask some of my uh, seniors about that to, to, to give you an answer. You don't let the Dharma down by not knowing. You let it down by blustering. Um, that's, that's the way you let it down or, or, or losing it a bit. So that's another aspect, I think, of, of kindly speech. A little bit more. No, stop. So the next um, uh, Sangravastu way of unifying, way of gathering, attracting, is called artacharya. And charya means living. It's the same word we have in dharmachari, dharmacharini, uh, faring in the dharma. So arata means the goal or meaning um, or the good. So it, it, it's really um, living meaningfully, living according to reality, living according to the goal. And the way this is explained traditionally, it means uh, that, that as far as the Bodhisattva is concerned, living meaningfully is communicating the Dharma to people. That's the way you do good. You communicate the Dharma uh, to them. I think this is a very important area to really get hold of and understand. One of the things that I've noticed is that people, in a way, don't realise how powerful, well probably I don't realise, how powerful the Dharma is, the Dharma is, as a transformative tool, not just for individuals, but for the whole of society. How it can bring, bring about what we call in India the Dharma revolution. Um, I sometimes see this manifest where when people think of, you know, doing altruistic work or their Buddhist action month or, or whatever it might be, there's a lot of emphasis on environmental issues or, or, or other things like that. I'm not saying that they're unimportant. But, but, but I think if we do any of that work, it must proceed from a profound vision of the Dharma and the Dharma's power to change individual lives and collective lives. I really think pe people need to do a lot more reflecting upon this. You know, the Buddha taught the Dhamma. That's all he did. He communicated Dhamma to people, the way to liberation, the way to live a better life. That brought about social revolution. Very important to remember that. That actually started to bring about social revolution in terms of you know, the, 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 the dissolving away of notions of untouchability, uh, caste and so on. 
but he taught Dhamma. And he taught Dhamma on a wide scale uh, to, to people at all sorts of levels and in all areas of life. This is why, of course, Dr. Ambedkar converted to Buddhism. I, my faith in the Dhamma really increased when I lived in India because Dr. Ambedkar, the, the great leader of, of the Dalits into Buddhism, was an extremely hard-headed practical man you know, who worked in you know, the field of education, trades unionism, politics, uh, all sorts of uh, areas of social uplift was a tremendous uh, um, you know, uh, um, agitator, if you like, well, more than an agitator, statesman. And, of course, he framed the Constitution of India. He, it came from him. But he, from the very beginning, long before the conversion, he was insistent that for real social change, you need a change in religion. You need a change in the deep culture of, of human beings. You need that shift. Yes, you need changes in the law. Of course you do. If you, if you want to abolish untouchability, if you want to abolish caste discrimination, and we know that. We, we need to change the laws so that they're more, you know, they're more supportive, genuinely supportive of, of, of the human, of, of everybody's humanity uh, and in all sorts of ways. But for that to, to really go deeply into consciousness, you need a change of, well, you need the shift to Dhamma. You need a, a religious transformation. So there's this recognition that there's a, there are depths to human beings which can only be touched by, well, in our case, Dhamma. This is what we're doing when we communicate the Dhamma to people. I think there's, there, there's a lot to ponder here. Um, one of the things that, I think some of us are being really struck by at the moment. I was talking to, to Sue yesterday, and we... Uh, what was your phrase? You had a lovely phrase. Um, it, it was something to do, do with uh, the, how confusing it is to, to do the human thing these days. Uh, there seems to be so much pressure um, driven by ideology, uh, which seems to, to not see humans as humans. I th and I think that the, 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 the Dhamma, Buddhism, is about reaching the human. I think this is really important. Do you remember those early lectures by Bhante? Human enlightenment. Human enlightenment. And this whole idea that the, the fact that Buddhism is non-theistic, in a sense Buddhism, well, it isn't in a sense, Buddhism is non-ideological. It's to do with seeing that what human beings need to do is to grow and transform in the sense of their highest human qualities, you know, which really, in the end, come down to awareness and love, wisdom and compassion. Uh, full awareness and full love. That's, that's what we are as humans. And I think when we, when, we, when we communicate the Dharma, we need to be really sure of this, really confident in this. And maybe we need to help each other in the groups to really understand this and transmit this to others. And whenever we're considering you know, anything to do with sort of social change and things like that, we make sure it's on this basis. And Dr. Ambedkar is so strong about this in his own uh, teaching. He often invokes the Marathi, wonderful Marathi word, which you, can't, you don't get the full force in English. It's manuski 
in in Marathi, a very ancient word with 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 great pedigree, and it's a, a kind of non-caste word. It means humanness, humanness. So you see a person as a human, not as a Brahmin, a Kshatriya, uh, an outcast, a Maha. You see a human. That's what you're concerned with. And that's what the Dhamma teaches. Uh, Dr. Ambedkar has a passage in a thing called the Buddha and his Dhamma where he talks about what is, what is Dhamma? What is Dhamma? He said, Dhamma is ethics. Ethics is Dhamma. He said, this replaces God in, in Buddhism this uh, Dhamma ethics. What is ethics? It's treating a human as a human and giving them what they need to be fully human. That is, if you like, our God. Uh, And he describes it as being sacred and universal. It's the most holy thing to treat another as a human. And it's universal. in, In Buddhism, there is no... Uh, no let off from that. You can never rationalise violence in Buddhism. So it's so tragic, such a terrible betrayal in these so-called Buddhist countries where you're getting violence perpetrated in the name of Buddhism. It's a complete and utter sellout. Uh, Buddhism is, is militantly, militantly committed to, 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 to love. Uh, there is never any excuse or, or justification uh, for violence. Uh, this is one of the most challenging teachings that, that, that we can have, but it's to do with seeing the human as the human, this precious human life. It's the essence of the first precept, you know, to bring about this fundamental human solidarity. So we've got something very distinctive, I think, to communicate uh, and be very resistant to ideology very resistant to an, an ideology even in the name of of of, of you know of um, maybe even presented as as bringing about something more human we have to be really watchful i think of that so communicating the dharma being really confident in the dhamma and when i say the dhamma in your groups of course you've got different people coming along you have to kind of judge what they what they need, as it were, what they can take, what they can respond to. But don't underestimate people either. Obviously, be gentle, be appropriate, don't force. But sometimes you might have somebody who, who like me, um, who needs a puja, uh, who needs some really profound uh, dhamma. Um, so so, so, so uh, watch out for that. Be alert to that. Uh, don't under undersell you know what you have the final of the sangha of Vastus is what's called exemplification samanatata you could say well you practicing what you preach which is difficult practicing what you preach it's very very hard because you know you can be very inspired by the dharma it can be very clear how to live and you know very well how much you you lag behind and I, and I know myself, I've had real crises of, of confidence at times where I feel the disparity between my enthusiasm for the Dharma, my love of the Dharma, and where, I, where I'm at. I remember one, on one occasion going to Bhante, and uh, it wasn't that long ago, and I was very, very upset, distressed, because I felt my meditation practice was really shallow. There wasn't really any you know depth of 
uh, meditative experience or any depth of insight or anything like that. And I thought I had to stop, for that reason, being involved in communicating the Dharma. And, and, and you know, Bunty was extremely kind. He could see my distress. And he really gave me full attention. Talk about awareness of the being of another. I would, you know, really... Uh, really uh, um, sensed his focus upon me and he was very very lovely he said well yes it would probably help if you had insight and depth so he didn't say oh no you've got insight really dear no way well yeah probably but of course when you're teaching the dharma nobody's going to know you've got it anyway (laughs) you're not going to tell them are you um he said, no, he said, what you need to do is see yourself as a channel for the Dharma. That's what you are. He said, that's the way I've seen myself. Well, that was a very significant remark. What's important is that people hear the Dhamma. What's important is that they are introduced at that. There's a, um, a little teaching of the Buddha on the, on the wrong way to teach the Dhamma and the right way to teach the Dhamma. The wrong way to teach the Dharma begins where the monk thinks, through this teaching may they have faith in me. Wrong. Through this teaching may they have faith in the Dhamma. You know, I think this is really, really important. You're handing the Dhamma on. You're introducing them to something much bigger. Of course, this is why groups need to be connected to the wider order and the wider Sangha. Not, it's very, I think, dangerous if, if somebody just hives off a group or in community because the the focus is going to be more on them rather than on Dhamma. And for Dhamma to really be there, you need to introduce them to more voices, more ways of of, of the Dharma being uh, uh, being shown. Uh, so y- yes, you 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 you're a channel for the Dhamma. And exemplification doesn't mean exemplifying. Bhante says, this is very important in his lecture, you don't exemplify a particular stage of the path. You, 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 know, you don't exemplify, oh, well, you know, I'm a, I've been in the third dhyana or I've been an order member for so many years or I've been a mitra for so many years I, or I'm a stream entrant. You don't exemplify that. You exemplify your struggle. You exemplify your efforts to transform yourself. You exemplify your love of this life. That's what you exemplify. And that means you can also admit, well, actually, I'm, I'm still a bit new to this. Uh, I'm in the early days of my practice. And we're really all in the early days of our practice in the general scheme of things. Uh, I'm still finding my way. So, yes, I'm working on this. But in exemplifying growth, in exemplifying your efforts to growth, you're actually exemplifying enlightenment. Because you're exemplifying what life is for. You're exemplifying what what Bhante used to call the higher evolution. You're exemplifying the human. The human growing in the direction of enlightenment. You might well feel you really are struggling along. But you are struggling. As my dear friend Arloka used to say. that uh, he, He said what you're exemplifying is a mess in progress. So if you feel that you're a mess, well, don't worry about it. Just be a mess in progress. You know, you're, you're, you're growing. You're exemplifying that. And above all else, you're pointing people to something bigger 
than, than yourself that you're connected to. So there's probably a lot more one could say about, about groups and so on, but I think I'll stop there. So remember those four things, generosity, loving speech, um, living meaningful through communicating the Dharma and exemplification. Thank you. Uh -huh. Thank you.